Welcome to the Dream Stream. I'm your host, Yiska Cook. So I'll start again with follow-up, as I always do. And in this case, our entire podcast is going to be follow-up because I'm remiss that I did not know who was the president of the United States at, at the time of World War II. And, um, you know, when I was thinking about, well, what do I know about Franklin Delano Roosevelt? And, uh, and I'll look forward to talking about that more with my guest today, who is Tom Deegan. And Tom is, I'm going to let you introduce yourself, Tom. I know you're a historian and you're a, a writer and a political thinker. Yeah. Well, I'm, an amateur, I'm an amateur historian. Okay. You. Yeah, yeah. I'd love to do that. Okay. I go there at least four times a year. You know, however screwed up America gets at any given time in our history, and we've the last the last fifteen years have been incredible. Uh, but whenever I go to the FDR library, I may walk in feeling just disgusted and you know, sick about the state of American affairs, but I always walk away from the place feeling better about the, about America. You know, I yeah. just feel better about America. Yes. It's, it's, it's like a tonic for me to go to the, uh, and take the tour and go to the mansion and yes. go to the Rose Garden where he's buried with Eleanor. You yes. know, it's funny. I was, I was, uh, I was staying across the street from the, about three years ago, staying across the street from the FDR library at a hotel, well, a motel there. Uh-huh. It's real. About two o'clock in the morning, I couldn't sleep, so I walked across Nine W, walked onto the grounds oh. of the F- of the FDR library, I walked over to the Rose Garden, where he and Eleanor sleep, yes, sleep. side by side, sleep. and I stood there in the moonlight, in the moonlight, oh, all alone. Tom, that's said a little bit of meditation, amazing. and you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. I he's my favorite president. Yeah. You know, people say yes. People say, you know, conservatives in, in particular say, well, you know, these liberals, blah, blah, you know, they're terrible. You know, the most, li- you know, and somebody said to me not long ago, Barack Obama was the most liberal president in okay. American history. I had a laugh. I had an absolute laugh. I said, no. Uh, not he that was liberal. Yeah. He, he, he wasn't the most liberal. I mean, he's barely tied for fourth place. I said, the most liberal president in our history was a gentleman who lived right across the river from us. His name was Franklin D. Roosevelt. He was not only a liberal, he was a radical, and his administration was chucked to the rafters with left-wing radicals. Oh, by the way, he's generally regarded by historians as being one of the three greatest presidents in American history. Some historians put him at the top. I know this amateur historian puts him at the very top. Yes. I mean, yeah, yes. Franklin Delano Roosevelt, Franklin D. Roosevelt, or yes. as I call him, the Frankster. Do they? You know, he was as good as they get, you know? Yeah. Well, so I I know, of course, I know a bit about, not of course, I mean, thankfully, I know a bit about his presidency. I could never square these two ideas. That he was the author of the New Deal, you know, so right. liberal, so helpful for struggling Americans. Um, and and then he had the Japanese internment camps. And I, yes, I could never yes. square that. And then to realize, and so had I followed that line of thinking through... I could have said, oh, yeah, that was at the end of World War II, and therefore this was the president of that time. Uh, well, but, yeah. Uh, uh, well, I can only say, uh, in, in, and this is not to defend it, it was 
a black mark on his record, and it's, it's there whether we like it or not. Yes. But it must be said, he didn't instigate the idea. Oh. He did not instigate the idea, and he, he could have stopped it. He didn't, but he felt he had to for political reasons. Now, another, you know, and, and you know, for what it's worth, okay, and that's yeah. not much of a defense. Right. And it's also been said that he was, he was not, uh, he was not, a strong advocate for civil rights for African Americans. Okay. Now, you have to understand, in FDR's time, the Democratic Party, who was literally controlled by these half-witted racist Dixiecrats from the South, okay. he had to get he had to get along with them in order to get things done. Yes. All right. But his wife Eleanor, on the other hand, she was a great advocate and did yes. a lot of work. Did a lot of work with Roosevelt's approval. Okay. You know, and whenever whenever Southerners would say, "Well, you know, he's he's too damn she's too damn kind to these Negroes," and Eleanor uh, FDR would shrug his shoulders and say, "Well, that's my missus. I can't control her." Oh. You know, but he, so, he yeah. did it. He, she did it with his approval. He, she did it with his approval. So interesting. Yeah. Well, then, I, yeah. and in that vein, also, so then he was the president who turned away the ship of Jews and sent them back to to countries in Eastern Europe where they were then executed? Was that, that was him then. I never think of it as him. You know, well, I, I hear about that. I hear about that. That was, that was more the work of Congress. Again, he could have done more to stop that. He didn't. Okay. He didn't. And that's another big black mark uh, against him. Yeah. And that's, that's, that's as big a tragedy as the Japanese internment. Right. Um, right. You know, we, you know, with FDR, you know, there there are some bitter pills we have to swallow, we have to face. He was not perfect in any respect, and that certainly proves it. You know, but sure. uh, uh, sure. the the uh, the uh, turning back the ship, and I don't know exactly what incident you're talking about, uh-huh. um, was not really his doing. Yeah. Um, you know, it was, it was those in, in Congress and the Senate and. Um, he didn't do all he could to reverse that situation. And again, that's right. another really big black mark against him. Yeah. But uh, he did defeat the Nazis, so. Yeah, so that's yeah. a really gold mark for him, a gold star for FDR. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he, 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 I will always say, you know, about FDR, I wrote this a couple of years ago, that, uh, you know, when he was president, uh, you know, he. He, for, for, he saved America, and when he was done saving America, just for shits and giggles, he decided to save the world. <laughs> you know, so it, it, it's it's a pretty it's a pretty good it's a pretty impressive record. Yeah, I mean he is yes. he's my absolute favorite president. You know, I, and I love reading about him. I've read I think I've read every book written in the last half century about Franklin wow. Roosevelt. If wow. I haven't, I, I will eventually. You Do, know, doesn't he was wonderful. Oh. You know, does Doris? He was a good man. Does Doris he, he was a, Goodwin Kearns? Does Doris have a biography on him? I'd like her writing very much. Uh yes. As a matter of fact, she wrote a book called. It was not just about Frank. It was about the Roosevelt White House, oh. including Eleanor. Eleanor had a big part in it. It was called No Ordinary Time. Okay. And that is that is the best book on the Roosevelts Ooh. that I've ever read. Yeah. Okay. No Ordinary Time by Doris Kearns a good one. I highly, highly recommend that one. Okay. I look highly forward recommend to it. it. Yeah. I'll, I'll do Sometimes my research. It's like a screwball comedy. Uh, 
the, the White House at that time? Well, you know, they had, you know, a lot of people going in and out. You know, a lot of ex their eccentric friends would be staying there at uh, any given time. Eleanor was a bit of a bohemian. Okay. And Franklin was very tolerant of, of uh, that type. And uh, some of uh, her friends in particular were a bit off the wall, like Lorena Hickok and Marion Dickerman and people oh, like that. tell me about but, these uh, women. Pardon me? Tell me about these women. Loretta. Well, Lorena, Lorena Hickok was a uh, journalist. It was a reporter for, I think, Associated Press, if I'm not mistaken. And she, now, when she was covering the Roosevelt campaign in 1932, she was actually assigned to cover Eleanor because, well, let oh. one woman cover another woman. Right. And yeah. um, she became very, very close to Eleanor. And it's believed, and it's probably true. She fell in love with Eleanor and developed a deep infatuation and yes. love for her. That uh, we don't know whether or not that was reciprocated. Maybe, yes. maybe not. Both women are long dead, so it's really hard to tell. And and uh, Lorena Hickok, before she died in 1972, Eleanor died in 1962. Before she died, she burned every bit of correspondence oh. that she and Eleanor had. So we'll never, we'll never really know. Yes. Well, You'll never really know what was going on there. But right. not, not that that matters. Not that well, that's also, it kind of matters because wasn't FDR involved with his cousin? He had like an extramarital uh, lifelong well, relationship. Well, he was very close with his cousin, uh, Daisy, uh, Daisy, uh, Margaret Sookley. The, the, the incident you're probably referring to is um, Eleanor's social secretary, Lucy Mercer Rutherford. Uh, in the late teens, between, I think, 1916 and 1918, they had a very passionate love affair. And uh, in 1918, when Franklin was was returned home from Europe after an inspection, he was Woodrow Wilson's assistant secretary of the Navy. Oh, I didn't know that. He, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he went, went there for an inspection of the, the troops and army bases and all what have you. And when he was uh, on his way home overseas, it was in the dead of winter, Eleanor discovered a cache of letters uh, from Lucy to him okay. that were obviously very romantic. Incidentally, by the way, I'm, I'm a distant cousin of Lucy R Mercer. Are you really, Tom? That's, yeah. that's oh, auspicious. Yeah. I, come from, <laughs> I, I, come, I come from a long line of home records. Okay. You know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, she and I, <laughs> she and I are both descended from um, Charles Carroll of Maryland, who who signed um, the Declaration of Independence. I think he was the fifth signer. Oh my! Just four below John Hancock. That's my family. Okay. Yeah, so. Oh, I love uh, yeah, it. I got a lot of history on my mother's side. Yes. Good and bad. Yeah, good yeah. and bad. Yes, yes. So please tell me, what was FDR's relationship with Churchill? The Prime Minister of... Well, FDR and Churchill first met in 1918 during that trip I was telling you about when he went overseas and he got sick coming home. Okay. Uh, Churchill, Churchill didn't remember him. Okay, the first time they officially met was in uh, 1941 in, uh, off the coast of Canada where their two ships met and they had a conference. Churchill came aboard Roosevelt's ship and then the next day... Roosevelt came aboard Churchill's ship for a religious ceremony. Okay. 
And that's when they met. That was in the, I believe, the summer of 1941, about five months before America was involved in the war. And their relation, they were close. They were close. Uh, Churchill absolutely loved Roosevelt. But as the war went on and it became apparent that Britain's power as an empire was dwindling, Roosevelt very gently made him the third partner, uh, you know, him, Stalin, and, you know, Roosevelt made him the junior partner. And uh, Churchill was hurt about it, but he never really, he could never really bring himself to say anything. Matter of fact, the day after Roosevelt died, he called him the greatest friend Britain ever had, and oh. you know he was probably right. He oh, was probably that's right. Really, something. Wait, so again, yeah, there's a, there's a, I'm not a historian, uh, but I just am curious. <laughs> you said Stalin. Well, how is Stalin involved? Was Stalin was involved with ending World well, War II? Yeah, Stalin was the. They were the three big allies. You know, it was. Well, first of all, Stalin. You know, Stalin was a. I mean, he was one of the most detestable creatures in American history. Uh-huh. He originally signed in the uh, in about 1940, or maybe 39 or 40, a non-aggression pact with Hitler. You know, so you know Hitler wouldn't attack Stalin, and Stalin wouldn't attack Hitler, and so Stalin was just content to, to let everyone else fight it out. You know, not take a stand. But then in June of 1941, Hitler. Who was also a pretty detestable creature? Yes, yes, he was. Detestable creature. Hitler invaded Russia, and uh, so Stalin was in as part of the Allies, whether he liked it or not. Okay. And uh, so he he was part of the big three. There was you know the the big three. There was Churchill, Roosevelt, and Stalin. So interesting. Yeah, yeah, it was an interesting time. Yes. In world history, it was a terrible time, but it's interesting to read about. I mean, I just not long ago read The Rise and Fall of the Third Reich by William L. Shire, okay. which I think is the longest book I've read. It's over 1,250 oh, pages. My. And somebody asked me how I like it. I said, well, the rise part I didn't like too well, but I just reading about the fall of yeah. the Nazis was just oodles of fun. Oodles uh, of fun. So, so, yeah. You're on the right side of history. <laughs> yes, it's good to be on the right. I think I'm on the right side of I history. Think I think you are as I well. So, I hope I am. Yeah. Tom, would you tell us in, in more detail, what is the New Deal? Well, the New Deal was um, basically a set of social programs that were kind of uh, kind of uh, developed to kind of even out the score okay redistribute wealth which was a big part of it um, you know provide income for uh, elderly people you know yes. who wouldn't social security. you know before before social security you got old you couldn't work anymore you're at the mercy of chair you know yeah, you had, your, your family you have your relatives Yes, and, and some people who didn't have any family, you know, just withered yeah. and starved, and, and it was a right. terrible situation. Roosevelt put an end to that. You know, he put an end to that. He he made sure that everyone would would uh, be taken care of in old age. Yes, <laughs> and um, also unemployment insurance, uh, uh, FDIC banker deposit insurance, banking deposit depositors insurance. So if you if your bank went under and you know you wouldn't lose your life savings, which happened a lot, you know particularly when the stock market crashed in October of nineteen twenty nine. Yes, it happened an awful lot. 
Yes. You know, they called, they weren't the good old days, the Roaring Twenties. No, oh, uh-huh, uh-huh, yeah. Although I love reading about them. You know, it's a, a fascinating. I, I wish I'd been alive during that period. You know, if I could change, if I could change places, I, I, I'd have gone. Of course, I'd be long dead now. But, yeah. You know, <laughs> but what about little, what about that period is intriguing to you? Well, uh, you know, I, I just like I like the culture. You know, the music. I mean, yes. I, I don't like the fact that Jim Crow was alive and well. Yes. In the twenties and thirties, I don't like that fact at all. But you know, I'm a big fan of the movies. You know, the musicals. I'm a big fan of the music. You know, the jazz. Yeah. You know, Louis Armstrong, Big Spider, Beck, yes. uh, Fletcher Henderson, all these great, great jazz bands that were thriving then. Wow. And you know, the you know, it's funny. You know, I grew up in rock and roll. Yeah. And you know, uh, I was a rock and roller from you know day one. Yes. But if you look back on it, most rock and roll, most of it is garbage. You can't say that about the jazz of the 1920s. I mean, I could just listen to it. You play any recording to me, and I, you know, I'll just go into the clouds, you know. Yes. Um, so I, I just love that period. I love it. I love it. I love it. Oh, yeah. awesome. Awesome. I'm an old soul. I'm an old yeah. soul. I was born. I guess I was born in the right time, you know. I don't yeah. like, I, I gotta be honest with you, I don't like the modern age. <laughs> I don't like being here. You know, I'm very frustrated being here. Okay. But I gotta live with it. Gotta deal with it. Right. You know? Right. Well, yeah. I, I'm i sorry you feel, you know, a little out of step in this culture. I hear you. It's it's a tough culture. But I feel like, you know, we let's make some reprimands you know let's do some tikkun let's do some fixing of this place before we exit the earth there's future generations that we need to think about well i'm trying i always hope i'm doing the right thing yeah i've always been everything i've always done i've always been like you know whether it be audio or video or film or writing yes you know i've always been kind of a of a creator creator of things I wish I could paint I I divest myself of every talent I have if I could only paint if I can I just don't have that talent but Tom can you um, can you dance I I could before I started losing my ability to walk oh right oh shit sorry (laughs) no that's okay right that's okay you know I would have loved to have been Fred Astaire (laughs) oh I love it Yes. Yeah. Oh, oh, dangles of Harlem. So how do people, how do people find your rant podcast? Do you still write it? It's a blog. It's not really a podcast. Oh, no, not podcast. Yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, I still write it. I wrote a piece about four days ago. I'm going to oh. write one probably in the next day or two. Okay. Uh, I'm on, uh, I usually try to, I usually try to, write one every six days i, I try not to let oh, a week awesome. go by yeah uh sometimes i'll do two two in a row uh, you know it depends i haven't been that good lately because my i've had some health issues and i've been you know kind of focusing on them yes and so i'm not not quite as prolific as i was during the campaign of 2016 when yes. there was yes where those things just wrote themselves you know <laughs> it was it's like a train wreck you know, I like think train wreck. I think that that's the last time we saw each other was at a Zephyr Teachout 
uh, rally that Bernie Sanders right, came right, to. Right, Bernie Sanders. That's that was right. uh, three years ago uh, next month. Okay. Right? <laughs> and I wrote about it. Matter of fact, I put your your photograph in the, uh, oh. in the piece I wrote. Awesome. <laughs> yes, yes. I'll have to Thank you. check that out. So I can't wait to go to the FDR library with you, Tom. I can't think of anyone I'd rather go with. You know, someone who is... I can't. I cannot think of anyone I'd rather go with. I love taking people mm. there who've never been been there before particularly young people yes i took i took a young couple uh kids of whose parents are friends of mine i took them there okay three years ago just before just before the uh, bernie rally oh and uh and uh you know i just got such a kick out of their reaction to the place because they were both in their early 20s and yes. I just got such a kick out of their reaction to the place and i love taking young people there or people who've never been there before i just right. you know it's just something I have a passion for. Yeah, I'm I'm yeah. I'm late for the party. <laughs> Living across the yeah. river, I, I very much want to become more immersed in FDR and you know his stories and Eleanor. I mean, she's well, amazing. I find it, oh, she is amazing. Yeah. Uh, first lady of the world. You know, that's uh, what I call her, and not just me, but a lot of people call her that. Right. She was so. Far. I mean, she was light years ahead of her time. Yes. In her views on on uh, not just race, but you know, homosexuality. She was yes. at a time when people didn't want to know that she was very tolerant of it. She was um, uh, definitely an equal rights for women advocate. You know. Yes. Uh, yes. She was uh, just. Oh. And she was his conscience. She used to drive him nuts. <laughs> you know, we've got to do this. <laughs> you know? Yes. So tell me, yeah, was yeah. she was she involved with the suffragists at all? Was that around the um, same time? Well, it's interesting when the suffragette movement was at full peak in the first two decades of the 20th century. They, the women won the right to vote in yes. 1919. Yes, yes. And they voted in their first election in 1920. Coincidentally, uh, the Democratic ticket that year was James Cox, governor of Ohio, and his vice president nominee was a very young uh, 38-year-old Franklin D. Roosevelt. Oh. And they, they, they lost to Harding and Coolidge. But uh, Eleanor, in the beginning, she evolved in the beginning, you know, she was just a, you know, a housewife. She was, she was not politically astute at all. Yes. And, and uh, so she was not a fan of the suffragette movement. She thought women should know their place. But in 19, in the summer of 1921, Franklin, they were vacationing in Campobello, uh, Campobello Island, which is off the coast of Canada. And there was a vacation there when Franklin came down with polio. Oh. And uh, oh, he was, really? you know, he, he, he was, he had a lot of promise, you know. He, they were saying he was going to be the Democratic nominee in 1924 or at least 1928. Yes. But for the entire decade of the 20s, he was on his back trying to work, trying to fight his way back from paralysis. Oh. And so Eleanor became his legs, so to speak. Yes. She began she began began making appearances on his behalf at rallies and, and political meetings and she became very, very politically astute. And that's when the Eleanor Roosevelt we know and love. Yes. The you know, the fight the fighting liberals, yes. so to speak. That's when that Eleanor Roosevelt begins to emerge. 
you know, and right. uh, she was just, she, and by the time uh, he, he, he ran, he, he recovered enough that he, he ran for governor in 1928, governor of New York, and he won. And for the next four years, he was in Albany. And then in 1932, he decided to make a run for the presidency. Okay. And uh, Eleanor, Eleanor was an absolute strategically important asset to Franklin. Huh. You know, you know, after the affair with my, my distant cousin, like I said, we come from a long line of homewreckers. Yes. <laughs> after, she had that affair, after she had that affair with my with Lucy Mercer, who eventually became uh, Mrs. Rutherford. Oh. Um, oh. There, the the intimacies of her marriage. The the intimacies of their marriage ceased to be. They never had intimate relations after that. Oh. But they had a gen they had a genuine affection and respect for each other. Yes. Interestingly, on the day Franklin died, on April 12, 1945, he was at what they called the Little White House in Warm Springs, Georgia. He had founded uh, an institute for people with polio huh. in Warm Springs, Georgia. And he was there in April of 1945 when he suffered a cerebral hemorrhage and died. Oh, my goodness. A very, very sudden. And one of the people visiting him, in addition to his cousin, uh, distant cousin, Margaret Sukley, there was uh, Lucy Mercer Rutherford was there. Okay. And, uh, you know, it was all innocent, you know. It was all innocent. They were just two old friends. Okay. And she made him happy. She made him laugh, you know. And, and she, she, she liked, Roosevelt was uh, somebody who liked light conversation. When he wasn't governing, he'd be more more likely talking about the gossip of movie stars than anything else. Okay. <laughs> and uh, w w after he died, uh, Lucy was there with a woman named Madame Shumatov, an artist who was painting him oh. in the process of painting his portrait. And when Eleanor found out that night that Mrs. Rutherford had been there, Yes. And that her daughter, her daughter, Anna, had arranged the visit. She was absolutely furious. Oh, no. She was absolutely furious. But Anna was able to talk to her and say, Mom, Mother. Yes. You know, it's funny, to the children, she was always Mother. Yes. But Franklin was, was always Pa. Oh, you know? yeah. Uh, and she did not have a good relationship with her children. Oh, I did not uh, know that's, that. That's another, that's another long story. Yeah, yeah she was... Yeah, she had a very complicated relationship with the children. But Laura, uh, rather, Anna was able to tell her mother, Dad was lonely. He was dying. You know, his health was deteriorating. If you look at photographs of him yes. in 1945, between, from the time, you compare them with photographs in 1933, the year he became president, okay. he aged like 30 years oh, in that 12-year period. Wow. And, and Anna was able to explain to Mom, Mother, he was just lonely. She made him happy. It was Chase. There was nothing. It was Chase. There was nothing, nothing, you know, Amor. Okay. Well, anyway, she was able to convince him that, uh, she was able to convince her mother, rather, that uh, it, was, it was all innocent. Yeah. And, and Eleanor came to understand. As a matter of fact, she developed a correspondence with Lucy, which I thought oh, good. was a happy ending. Very good. Lucy, Lucy only, only lived another two years after that. I think she died in 1947. Oh, my goodness. And she was in her 50s, yeah. 
virtue. Wow. Wow. That's, that's how it all. Yeah. Thank you, know, you so happened. much. So he actually lived in Hyde Park? He, he was born there. Okay. He was born in, in the mansion. It's still there, and you can go through it, see the room he was born in. Wow. And there's a museum there that has all these artifacts of his childhood and his life. And uh, he was born there in uh, the night of January 30th, 1882. Okay. And he, uh, that was his home for his entire life. And as I said, he's buried in the Rose Garden with Eleanor. Yes. And, uh, you know, it's uh, it's quite a historic I mean, you just, you know, uh, I always say, you know, you just feel the Frankie vibe when you're walking through yes. that place. You know? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Feeling that Frankie vibe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a wondrous, beautiful place, you know. Yeah. And, and it's it's the home sits atop a very very steep hill that looks down into the Hudson River, and you can oh. see you can see uh, Dutch, you can see Ulster County yeah. from across from across the river. Wow. And 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 when he was a boy, he used to get on a sleigh and. Slay down this very, very steep hill down to the river. Is it open and to he, the public now? Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. Oh. I don't know if you can go slaying there. Well, but, oh okay. I mean, I mean, it, it, <laughs> it, 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 it's you know, and you think how his mother, his mother was was. Didn't you worry about him? And she said, "Oh no, I had perfect confidence in him." Yeah. You know, and yes. he would. He, he used to say that. As an adult, whenever he had, particularly while he was president, if he had problems sleeping, right, he would. Matt, Matt, he closed his eyes and picture himself as a little boy, slaying, oh. slaying down this extremely steep hill. <gasps> oh, getting carrying the sleigh back up and slaying down it oh, again. Oh, was that exhausting? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And all, yeah. all we do is count sheep around here. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> Wow. So here's my next question, Tom. Yes, ma'am. You don't have to answer it. But oh, um, yeah, so I'm curious about your reaction or response to the Democratic primary uh, contenders. And I'm wondering. I, I, yeah. Well, the two I love the most are Elizabeth Warren and Pete Buttigieg. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, really? And by the way, he's mayor, he's mayor of South Bend, Indiana, which is my mother's hometown. Really? Yes, my mother was from South Bend. That's how she met my father. He was a student at the University of Notre Dame, class of 1952. And they met, I think they met within within six months. I think they met in, in February of 62. Wow, or, uh, yeah. Or January of 62. Within six months, they were married. They wow. married on July 19th, 1952 in South Bend, Indiana, and that's... Wow. So I have I have Hoosier blood in me, and yes, you know the house my mother grew up in, and she was literally you know lived in when she was born is still wow. in the family. So and, and yeah. I have to visit there. I have to visit there. Tom, what do you have to say for yourself with Mike Pence? <laughs> well, you know, people say they're saying impeach Trump, impeach Trump. Yeah. And, you know I. And one argument is, well, if you impeach Trump, what do you got, Mike Pence? Right. You know? And uh, my way of thinking is, you know, yeah, yeah, Pence is an imbecile. Yes. No question about it. I mean, the IQ of a half-eaten box of milk does, 
Now, we're talking dumber than dog shit here. Okay. But at least, at least he's not certifiably insane, which I believe Trump is. Yeah, yes. So I think, you know, we probably be, I think he should be impeached. I mean, I think the guy is just unstable and every, unsuitable for the presidency in yeah. every way imaginable. Oh, you know, in every yes. possible way yes. imaginable. Yes, yeah. Well, I'm just going to hope Mike Pence steps aside by the weight well, of this. Well, the thing is, the and thing then Nancy is, you know, Pelosi, step right and, up. And, in 1973, when it was patently obvious to anyone paying attention that Nixon was up to his ears in Watergate, uh-huh. nobody dared impeach him because his his vice president was a reactionary dingbat named Spiro Agnew. Oh, now nobody nobody wanted Agnew in there. You know, wow. they, they they were willing to write out Nixon oh. until ni- until 1977 because nobody wanted Agnew in there. Oh my but goodness! But then in, in October of 1973, Agnew was forced to resign. He was forced to resign because you know he got caught in in this kickback scheme. Okay. You know, he'd, been, he'd been taking bribes as governor of Maryland, and even into the White House, even when he was vice president, taking these bribes wow. from these contractors and everything. And so Agnew was forced to step aside in, I think it was October 20th, 1973. And when that happened, uh, you know, Nixon's impeachment and or resignation was only a matter of time. So who was because, who was the Speaker he, of the House at that time? Uh, speak, speaker of the House was named Carl Albert. And that's who became and, the president? No, no, actually, no. Well, see, Agnew was replaced by Jerry Ford. Oh. He was replaced by Gerald Ford, who, you know, was a moderate uh, very well liked yeah. uh, and very very likable man. I mean, I love Ford, even though I didn't agree with him on a lot of policy. I thought, you know, at least thought, well, yeah, he's a good guy, you know. Yes. And uh, so, Ford became, Nixon resigned. Uh, I think it was ten months later, in August of nineteen seventy four. Yes. And Ford became president. Yes, Ford. And they all lived happily ever after. Ford was the first president in my life. On, uh-huh. on Earth, <laughs> so yeah. yeah, and um, I remember, I remember him from then. Yeah, right. Yeah, Wasn't there? Was a... That was when there was the gas shortage. Was that Ford? Right, right. Well, that was right in the middle of that. The uh, yeah, uh, nineteen seventy three. Actually, was uh, toward the end of Nixon's presidency. That oh. was the same time Ford became vice president. Was during the autumn of nineteen seventy three. We had this. Horrible gas shortage. I'm old enough to remember it. In 1973, I was 15 years old. I was three. Yeah. (laughs) I was three, but I remember being in long lines waiting to fill the tank. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. Wow. Yeah, it was an incredible time. Incredible time. And uh, I remember it well. I remember it very That's when I really, really started. I mean, I started to follow politics in 1968, um, you know, after the assassination of Bobby Kennedy and the Democratic yes. Convention, all the hell that broke, yes. broke loose. I was ten years. That's when I. That was the year I turned ten. Okay. Uh, but I really became a political junkie during Watergate. Matter of fact, I used to. This is what a nerd I was. I used to. I had a cassette recorder. I had a cassette recorder. I used to re- record the Watergate hearings, particularly the John Dean hearings. Oh. The John Dean testimony, and I would put the microphone in front of the TV uh, set, plus press play, record, and I still have those tapes. Oh my, my gosh! My yeah, I still have those tapes from real and time. And actually, I l- listened to them uh, about 
not recently, but about 10 years ago, I listened to them. And uh, yeah, that was quite a time. You should put them on YouTube. Real time. Yeah, well, in real time. Well, you know, you know the, the original videotapes are all on YouTube, so you can oh, watch Oh, that's those. also real time. <laughs> yeah, all I have is audio. They didn't have home video back then. But, okay, uh, I, have, I have a follow-up question for you, Tom. Yes, so I'm surprised you didn't say Bernie Sanders. You said Elizabeth oh, Warren well, and Pete yeah, I would have said him too. Yeah, no, actually, it's Bernie, Elizabeth, and uh, Pete. And if you know, I, I'm not hopeful that either one of them will get the nomination because they are definitely. I mean, they're after my own heart. Right. They're they're decidedly left of center. And but you know, I'm I'm not. It's probably going to be Biden. And, you know, that'll be a bit of a disappointment, but I can live with Joe Biden. I yeah. think he's a good man. I think he means well. Yes. But uh, I don't think this country is ready for a Bernie Sanders or an Elizabeth Warren or a Pete Buttigieg, particularly a gay president. I mean, oh, God. Right. But then I said, that, but then, you know, when Obama announced yeah. his nomination in 19, um, announced his candidacy 20, in 2007, right? I said, oh, you know, he could probably do this. He, you yeah, know, he could yes. probably do this. Yes. But I, I will say this. I will say this. Um, and I've, I've said this too many times. Account this country will only be saved until it takes a drastic, drastic turn to the left. You know. Yes. I mean, um, the reason I am the way I am is because I know history. I'm as far as history is concerned, and American history in particular. I'm, I have a pretty broad knowledge. Yes. And. One, you know, Nixon, Nixon's first national television interview after leaving the White House, six years after leaving the White House, was with Barbara Walters on ABC television. Oh, really? And she asked him, she said, Mr. President, this was in the summer of 1980, and I was just about to turn 22. Okay. And she said, Mr. President, Mr. President, how do you think you'll be remembered by the history books? by the historians. And he said, well, Barbara, the problem with the history books, I'll never forget his answer as long as I okay. the problem with the history books is that they're all written by liberals. And he was absolutely right. Oh. Most histories are written by liberals. There's a reason for that. Because in order to write about history, you have to have a broad, comprehensive knowledge of history. Yes. And once you've obtained that broad and comprehensive knowledge, you, you start to see a pattern. Yes. Okay? You cannot be anything but a liberal. You know, once you have that knowledge, because once you have it, you see a pattern that has been repeated time and time and time and time again and again and again throughout all American history. And right. it's a lesson each generation has had to learn. And the lesson is right wing form of governance does not work. There's no Whenever such thing. You're no such thing as trickle down. I've said no, that no, that's nonsense. That's absolute Total nonsense. nonsense. Total bullshit. And when, um, you know, every, if you look throughout our history, every time our government, three branches of our government have t been taken hold of by the right wing, by conservatives, but, but really right wing, um, there's a difference. But every time they have been taken over by all three branches of this government, or they have taken over all three branches of this government, they've driven this country into the economic ditch. Every single time. Now think about this. Wow. In in two thousand and six, George W. Bush, in September of two thousand six, George W. Bush appointed.
appointed Samuel Alito to the Supreme Court. Yes. Now, for the first time in since the 30s, all three branches of our government were full controlled in full control by the uh, by the plutocracy, the okay. extreme right. Okay. And what happened? What happened? Three, uh, two years later, almost to the day, in September of 2008, you had the worst economic collapse since 1929. Wow. You know, the word, and, and uh, that's not a coincidence. That's not a coincidence. You know, yeah. right-wing form, right form of governance does not work. Never yes. has, it never will. Right. It, and people just, and maybe that's the reason why American history isn't taught in high schools anymore. At least it wasn't taught when I was there. I never had one day of American history in the three years I was in high school. Of course, I dropped out at the end of junior year, but that's another okay. story, boys and girls. Uh, but, we're not but, talking uh, about that right now. No, but I, I think that, well, my education, obviously, it wasn't so great because of my lack, but um, I I don't feel like I learned about world cultures at all, but I think I did learn about American history in my schooling, but that's also a deficit, you know, not to learn yeah. about the world. Yeah. Oh, yeah, no. Objectively. No, yeah. 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 We have, we have, you know, the thing about America is the entire American experience has been a struggle to liberate different people yes. and, and different cultures in, in, within our society. It's been, uh, you know, I mean, and I said recently, uh, I was talking to somebody and I said, you know, if you don't understand the history of African-Americans in right. this country, you do not understand American history because right. their story, our history hinges upon their story. Yes, absolutely. It hinges upon, from the beginning right up to the present. And if you don't understand African-American history, you don't understand history. And I would recommend uh, a book, the book on civil rights that I recommend above all orders, all others, is called Parting the Waters okay. by Taylor Branch. It's a little, pretty hefty. It's about 600 pages. But it's the best book on American civil rights I've ever read. Okay. It's wonderful. I'm going to read it. Or as they say in Germany, wunderbar, wunderbar, Fräulein. <laughs> you know, but, uh, right. yes. So... So thank you. I'll I'll definitely read these two books. I'll be calling the library when we get off the phone. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Cool. They got a nice library there in Newport. Yeah, pretty nice. Hard for yeah, me. To... Hard for me because it's a long, long ramp up to the library from the parking lot. You know. Well, yeah. But I it... can just ride my electric scooter. It's just fine. There you go. There, there you, you go. go. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, well, thank you so much, Tom. I very much value your historical perspective and the way you think and appreciate that you're sharing that with with all of the Dreamstream listeners, including myself. Hi, folks. How are you? <sighs> yeah, well, it's a, it's a pleasure to talk with you, Jessica, anytime. Jessica. And uh, <laughs> anytime, any any time, I, I'd love to. You know, it's okay. just, it was a lot of it was a lot of fun for me. Yes, yes, awesome. So, um, I'm gonna I'm gonna just turn off the recording in a moment, but please stay on the phone, okay, Tom? 
So, listeners, I hope you enjoyed this episode 21 of The Dream Stream with myself and Tom Deegan. And please look him up on Google, Tom Deegan, The Rant. He's D-E-G-A-N. Say that again. D-E-G-A-N. Oh, D-E-G-A-N. Tom yeah, Deegan. look me up on Google. I'm the first thing that pops up. Excellent. So, right. <laughs> have a great week, everyone. And until... We meet again. Hi, folks. Tom Deegan here. And thanks for listening on behalf of my dear friend Jessica Cook. We'll meet again. Don't know where, don't know when, but I know we'll meet again some sunny day. Cha-cha-cha. Thank you, Tom.